Uh, I'm, I'm reading a book called The Second Mountain. It's by a wonderful writer named David Brooks. David Brooks uh, came from a, a, a Jewish, secular Jewish background. By his own admission, he's a lapsed Jew. And I think in listening to some interviews and reading his books through the years, I think he's become a believer in Jesus. But he's written this book called The Second Mountain. He says, quite frankly, in the, in the introduction, he says that, that I'm writing this because there is one mountain everybody climbs in their career, in their academics, and, and they, when they get to the summit, he said, and I did. I said, I'm a columnist for the New York Times. When I, get, when I got to the summit, I looked around and said, there's nothing here. He said, as I, as I was climbing that first mountain, my marriage fell apart because of my stupidity, he says. I lost the affection of my children for years. I, I went through a time of despondency and depression. And he said, so I'm saying there, there's a second mountain that people often climb when they've hit the apex of the first mountain, they say, where they say there's nothing there. And the second mountain is a mountain of significance where you give back to others around you and you find true meaning in life. I think it's an incredible concept. And he says some people get to the second mountain very quickly in life. But this is what he says in his book. I, want, I just thought this would be something for you to, to read. He says, the, the, the people who radiate a permanent joy have given themselves over to lives of deep and loving commitment. Giving has become their nature. And little by little, they have made their souls incandescent or filled with light. There's always something flowing out of the interiority of their spirit. For some people, it's mostly fear or insecurity. But for the people that we call joyful, it's mostly gratitude, delight, and kindness. And that, that's what happens with the, when the gospel invades your heart. And the centrality of Christ is, is who you are. So, it's good stuff. Let me, let me read the passage. We're going through Matthew, parts of Matthew. This is Matthew 12. Last week, Jesus is having this ongoing dialogue with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were well-meaning people who were trying to commend themselves to one another and earn the favor of God. They missed the gospel by a mile. They missed the sacrificial system in the Old Testament by a mile. It says they were busy making law after law after law after law above the Mosaic law to make themselves acceptable to God. And so they had this ongoing debate with Jesus. And as they talk, there are more and more people who come in. There's a huge crowd now. And, and so last week, some people look at Jesus as he's healing a man who can't speak and who can't, who can't, can't see. And, and they said, could this possibly be the son of David, the Messiah? They were just, the word gobsmacked. And before anybody can respond, the Pharisees say, oh, no, 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 you misunderstand. It is by the prince of evil, Beelzebub, that this man is casting out demons. And Jesus responds to that by saying, you guys are nonsensical, it makes no sense. Uh, but, but then he goes on and says that, that every sin will be forgiven you except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's no hope. People have always said, well, what is that? Is that suicide? Is that murder? Is that sexual excess? What is that? Here's the answer. Blasphemy against the Spirit is denying that Jesus is Messiah and King who died on the cross for our sins. Because the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin, 
righteousness and judgment, according to John chapter 16. And so Jesus is saying that, 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 that it's, it's, I think it's very, very comforting. It is never too late until you die. And then there is judgment. Then there is hell. But, but, but until then, if you can pass the fog, the mirror test, there's always hope. Always hope. So, so wherever you might be today in your understanding of the gospel or in your lifestyle, what you've done, it's never too late. That, that, that's the incredible statement of Matthew chapter 12. And so as we go on with this, Christ turns to the Pharisees. And this is what he says about them and us. Starting in verse 33 of Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation. And condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. By way of understanding, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet who was told to go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh under duress after being in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. He preaches. The city repents. Uh, the queen of the south was a queen from a far distant land who came hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles to see if what she heard about Solomon was true. It was true. And, and so Jesus says, at, at, at the judgment, this generation will rise up with the people of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba and condemn you guys. So this passage, so my, my thesis this morning is this. It's, it's a passage about the very strange case of fruit bearing. Fruit bearing in the life of the believer is not by efforts to earn, but it's focusing with a joyful, worshipful gratitude on what God has done for us. We bear fruit not because we labor to earn, we bear fruit because we worship out of gratitude. So it's, it's a strange case of fruit bearing. Again, the Pharisees were busy committing themselves to one another and trying to earn the favor of God. There was no room in their epistemology, their thinking, for the glorious statement of Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's no place in their thinking for weary, beat-down people 
who needed to be yoked under the teacher. They, they said, how, how dare you say they should yoke themselves under you? We are the teachers of the law. We are Pharisees. We have been trained for year after year after year. And how dare you say to us who do all of these things that we need to be weary and heavy laden, that they just didn't get it. And people don't get it today. You, you will never come to Christ unless you say, I'm weary and heavy laden. You'll never come to Christ until you say, I, I need to be yoked under a teacher who is smart, much smarter and more winsomely insightful than I am. That's why you love the Word. And, and so we come to four quick points. Number one, fruit marks the reality of the tree. In a well-known passage, Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Verse 35, the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth that which is evil. So, so Ephesians 2.10 says we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. John 15, a passage that most people are very familiar with. I'm the vine, you're a branch. If you abide in me, you will bring forth much fruit. You abide, much fruit. Apart from you can do nothing. Westminster Confession, chapter 16, article 2, that fruit, good works, are the evidences of a true and lively faith. So, so fruit marks the reality of the tree. And the question I have for you is, are you bearing fruit? Are you fruit producing? In your attitudes, we know from Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, this is good. I do this occasionally just for the week. You pick out one of those characteristics of being a spiritual person under the banner of Christ. And you, you, you meditate on it. You think about it. For, for example, I was thinking about the concept of, of joy. I was reading Proverbs 15 yesterday and I just thought, yeah. In Proverbs, you know, joy. And you ask yourself, am I a person who emotes joy? Am I, am I joyful? I mean, it's pretty easy. And I read Proverbs 15 verse 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. So a, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. And you say, well, you say to yourself, self, why, why should I have a glad heart? Well, your sins are forgiven. If you die, you have the hope of heaven. There is a Abba Father who watches over you and who guides your path and watches over your ways. Like the psalmist says, Lord, you know my rising up and my going down. You know when I go in and when I come home. And he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too lofty. I cannot begin to attain to it. You think about it. The Father loves us through the cross. Even the hairs of our head are numbered, Jesus says. So, so, so a, a, a glad heart makes a cheerful face. I think, you know, have a cheerful face. I know there are, we, we lament at times. I know that. But, but generally speaking, 
So, so joy. Or I thought about faith, being faithful, faithfulness. I just asked you know, a faithful person, yes is yes and their no is no. They show up on time. They do the right thing. They're, they're, they're just there. Am I a faithful person? So you ask your, your spouse or your kids or your friends, do these things reflect my life? Number two, your speech is important, obviously. See, Jesus says that, that your words will point to the fact that you're a believer or not. Look at verse 36. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In other words, either going to bat last week, either my words blaspheme the work of Christ or they elevate the work of Christ. And let me give you a little breathing room here. I think in the text that he's, he's talking about careless words spoken about the person of Jesus. So, so the, the, do, do your words elevate the name of Christ? Do your words elevate the work of Christ? So, so I think that's the primary it's got application across the board. But, but, but by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned regarding the person and work of Christ. But what's interesting about this text, you think about it. I will tell you on the day of judgment. So believers stand back, and they say, there is a coming day of judgment. And I will give an account for the way I've lived my life. Therefore, life is filled with joy, but also sobriety. There is no anonymity. Hebrews 4 says that everything will be uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. So, so, so we walk under the reality that there is a great God who loves us and who watches over us, and, and we'll give an answer. I think one of the most damning Stupid commercials that's been on TV for a while is the one that's been embraced by the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What a bunch of crock. What, what, what a stupid statement. Now, now if, if you're a secularist that believes there's no God and everything's happenstance, that's no big deal, yeah. But if you're a believer, what, what a joke, what a stupid statement. So, you think about judgment and eternity. I, I was, if, 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 you're, if you're a believer, life is a big deal. If you're a believer, the, the gifts and the way you use your gifts and your talents is a really, really big deal. But if, if you're not, if you just say God is undefinable and he or she may be there and we're not really sure, then, then, then you just kind of float through. I was, saw several times this week on some internet headlines about a, a, a woman who is, I think, 64, and she's in a magazine posing in a swimsuit with her daughters, I thought. And it says, person X looks great at 64. And I thought, you yeah. know. And listen, she's beautiful. She, she really is beautiful. Uh, but when I thought, I always get, person X looks great at 53. Person Lex looks great. There's always a caveat. Looks great, even though they're 60. I mean, you're still 64. Your body still weighs. I mean, it's just such a joke. So I looked her up, and she's been married four times. 
these three girls are from three different husbands, and she had several live-in boyfriends through the years, and she is indeed almost 64, and she really is beautiful. But I thought, it really is, is that important? I mean, many of us could look better than we did if we had a full-time dietitian who sat beside us every day. And every time we reached for the ice cream, they smacked us in the face. Or if we had all the money in the world for cosmetic surgery, or if we had a personal trainer who, who made us do crunches every day and lift weights and all this kind of stuff, and, or, if, or if we could be Photoshopped. You know, all these pictures, they're all Photoshopped. I mean, they don't look this good. I mean, most of us would look good if we could be Photoshopped with 30 touches or so. Maybe 35, I don't know. But anyway, I, 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 just, I just thought of that, and I thought, about it. It's, it's so empty. And I thought, well, I spent this week walking the halls with many, 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 many women. And many of these women have children that have long left their home, and they're still here loving kids that are under the age of fifth grade, and, and they're caring, and they're loving, and they're serving because they love the future generations. And, and, and they are our role models, not somebody that still can be in this photo spread when they're 64. Big deal. Who cares? And I thought of one of the banner verses that we should put in our homes in this incredible culture that worships youth and vitality and being, have, having 8% body fat and being vegetarians. What a terrible way to live your life. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. But, 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 but this type of thing, I mean, by the way, she's a vegetarian too on top of that. It is, it's Proverbs 31, 26, charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord should be Praised. Praised. I, I read Number three, this is the main point. The overflow effect. Verse 34b, listen. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. Or out of the abundance of the heart, ESV says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So it's the overflow effect. And listen to me. People who know the glory of the cross operate under the banner of grace. Grace says, when I was dead in my sins... Dead in my trespasses, God breathed life into my being by the glory of the gospel as somebody communicated the word of God. God saved me. And, and I deserve judgment, but God has had mercy upon me. Every other world system operates under the banner of, I deserve this. I deserve this. I earned this. When, when a Muslim person has been deceived and, and they strap on some explosives under a trench coat and they walk into a marketplace filled with unsuspecting people and they detonate that bomb and they blow themselves up and other people, they are saying, I deserve to go straight to Islamic paradise. Because you really don't know if you're going to go to the paradise or not. But if you die in holy jihad, it's, just, it's supposed to be a, a, a ticket to paradise. I deserve it. I deserve it. If you study Hinduism, there are four stages of life in Hinduism. The beginning, the, we would call the breadwinner, when you establish yourself. But once you are established, the last years of your life, so the Hindus go into something called sannyasa. And in sannyasa, a, a a executive or a woman who's done well, whatever, they, they will renounce all their worldly possessions, live in a colony, wear a saffron robe, and become a beggar, a mendicant. They'll become a beggar to achieve favor so that when they die, maybe they can escape from reincarnation and go straight into mukti. And what they're saying by doing this is, I deserve 
I deserve. There's no grace. I earn it. The Pharisees had over their head the banner, I deserve. I'm better than you guys. Through all of my meticulous law-keeping, I deserve. A secularist, a well-meaning secularist who says, I'm not sure you can define God. When they do this and do that and do this and do this, they say, well, I'm trying to cover my bases, so maybe I deserve. The gospel is the only thought system I'm aware of that says, it's been done for me. I operate out of worship and gratitude. One of my favorite hymns, Rock of Ages, one stanza says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, vile I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. So, grace. The second part of this little point is that, is that there's, a, there's a, a link between grace and gratitude. There's a wonderful book called Love Your Enemies by a man named Arthur Brooks. I strongly recommend the book. But he says this. There's a 2000, a study done in 2003. Researchers ask undergraduate students to write a report of their experience once a week for 10 weeks. Three groups. Group number one was asked to list five things in your life that you are grateful or thankful for. Group two was asked to list each week five hassles that occurred in your life. And the third group was asked simply to list, quote, five events that had an impact on you, whether good or bad, close quote. You know the, the results. The study found that people who kept a list of things they were grateful for were significantly more satisfied with their lives than subjects who dwelled on negative or neutral events. Participants in the gratitude condition felt better about their lives as a whole and were more optimistic regarding their ex expectations for the upcoming week. They reported fewer physical complaints and reported spending significantly more time exercising. It's amazing. When the researchers raised the stakes and asked participants to keep a daily journal of gratitude for two weeks, they found the participants not only were happier, but they were also more likely to report having helped someone with a personal problem. The lesson is clear. To be happier and to be better to others, count your blessings. That's just the, that's just the scripture. So what I'm saying, you go to bed at night. Before you go to bed, sit down with your roommate, your spouse, and just say, here are five things that I'm thankful for tonight. Thank you. Five things. You can pray them. You just do that. That's not you don't deal with issues. Yeah, we deal with issues. We speak the truth in love, but, 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 but generally speaking, we are people of gratitude. There's an overflow valve. I think of Psalm 103 where David is writing with a very dim view of the cross, and he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who forgives your sins? Who heals your diseases? See, he watches over us. Who redeems your life from the pit? He saves you from the despair and destruction and the existential angst that so many people walk under. You have certainty. Who, 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 who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Um, 
Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. On and on and on. So I ask you, and again, ask your friends. I mean, when you're pushed, does gratitude come out? Are you a person that speaks well? That, that is the, the, the overflow valve. So he says here, out of his good treasure, Jesus says, out of his good treasure, he brings forth good. Or out of his evil treasure, he brings forth evil. There are people in, in my life that they just have good treasures. They just have good treasures. And when you speak to them, it's always, yeah, you, you walk feeling better. I leave here on Sunday so much better than I feel when I came. Just being around some people here and just talking and embracing. And, I, and then there are people in my life, quite frankly, that I know that are, I think their hearts are filled with evil because when you push them, all they do is complain and bellyache. I, I want to be a good treasure person. Good treasure person. You, we, we all know this. I'm just be bloody honest. There are people you know that you probably, if you saw them coming down the street and they have not made eye contact with you yet, you go the other way. Just be honest. I've done that. Oh, they haven't seen me yet. Let's duck in this store. And this is a new age store, and I feel like I'm going to give you inhabited by demons or something. You, you, you're stuck inside the door. And there are people you see coming down the street on the other side of the street, and you go through eight lanes of traffic to the peril of your life just to say hi. You with me? I want to be that kind of guy. And Jesus says we should be. Are you storing up good in your heart? Are you, in, are you in the Scripture? I love, John Calvin has a great part in the Institutes on Faith, and he hammers home time after time after time the connection between the Word of God and walking in faith. The Word of God and walking in faith. You fill your mind with this. The good man out of his treasure brings forth evil. And then number four is the centrality of the cross. Verse 38 and following, the, the Pharisees and some of the scribes said, you know, give us a sign. And Jesus says, I'll give you one sign. This is the first time Jesus spoke of the resurrection in the book of Matthew. And it's really good. He said, just as Jonah, three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's it. Talked about his resurrection. Then he goes on, he says this. And this is, see, in this passage, first of all, he said earlier, in chapter 12, he says, um, one greater than the temple system is here, which was mind-boggling. Jesus is saying is, was saying, I have fulfilled the temple system. I will fulfill the temple system. When the cross happens and, 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 it, and it's done a once and for all, you will no longer need the temple because you no longer need a sacrificial system because the one sacrifice will be given on the cross. And so one greater than the temple is here. And it's an astounding statement. And then he says, later says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Astounding statement. And here he says, one greater than Jonah is here. One greater than the Old Testament prophets is here. I'm the fulfillment of the prophecies right here. And then he says, one greater than Solomon is here. Solomon, the son of David, for heaven's sake. He says, Jesus says, I, I am the king you've been looking for. It's amazing. It's all about the gospel of grace. You see, here's, here's the difference. The Pharisees, and modern-day Pharisees, 
live under the rubric of if then. If I do this, then God will do this. If I fulfill this and earn his favor, then God will do that. If I do this, God, that, that, that's not the gospel. The, the gospel is because therefore, listen, because Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I have forgiveness through the work of Jesus on the cross. Because God became a man and died for my sins, then I've been adopted into the family of God by faith. Because there is an eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who loves me with an everlasting love, as I view the cross, I can walk in security and hope. See that? The difference? It's slight in the way people think, but it's huge. See, the gospel is, is not a moralistic do, but a merciful, it's done. We operate under, it's done. And so in this whole dialogue, it's interesting that Jesus makes a beeline to the glory of the resurrection. Because he was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection out of the dead. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of opening the Bible and hearing from you. Thank you that you are gloriously good and you're kind and you're triune and you're eternal and you love us because we see the cross. So this week, Lord, may we fill our hearts and our lives with good treasure and may we speak, may the overflow of our hearts be good and beneficial and kind and loving uh, so, and let us speak a word for Christ as you energize and support and care for our uh, high school students in Atlanta and our team going to Bali and our leadership team with Campus Outreach, our leadership project in Myrtle Beach and our middle schoolers getting ready to do our work with Hispanic Church. We, we thank you for these things. We thank you that the word planted this week in the lives of so many children will bear fruit because you, Holy Spirit, watch over that word that's planted. So we trust you that bear fruit in our lives this week in Jesus' name. Amen.